From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. How soon is too soon to discuss palliative care with a patient? My guest today, UW's chief resident, Christina Lee, says that it's never too early to have a conversation about palliative care, and she shares some tips about how to have those discussions. Dr. Lee is originally from Vancouver, British Columbia, where she grew up a piano prodigy and will be returning for a surgical oncology fellowship at the University of British Columbia. Our talk begins with a discussion about what being a musician and being a surgeon have in common. Spoiler alert, it's not the dexterity. Dr. Lee, welcome to the surgery set. Thank you for having me. Been looking forward to this. Right, we're getting you in moments before you leave us forever. But yeah, you're one of our chiefs here. Tell us a little bit about your story. You had an interesting path to medicine, and so tell us how you got here and then where where you're headed. Oh, the story. Okay, well, it's not too different from most other physicians, or perhaps I shouldn't say that. Everyone's very different and very unique in their own ways. But for me specifically, I... um, Born and raised in Vancouver, British Columbia. Stayed there for all of my schooling up until the end of undergrad. Um, and Got at that good point, at playing the piano somewhere in there. <laughs> somewhere in there. Played a little bit of piano. You know, there we've had a lot of discussions about that with different people throughout my training in the past 11 years in medicine, more or less. And I think that, not to be too off topic, maybe it's a little interesting about my particular background, but I think if anything, even though music is not so much ingrained in my daily life now, it has definitely taught me a lot about how to think about things and how to keep working at something. And I think that also draws in a little bit of what some of my grand rounds was alluding to as when we're in the profession of medicine, regardless of the specialty and regardless of what our focus and what we find to be really important, there's always something that I think we keep in the back of our minds as something we want to work on continuously. It's being able to think of it, the same issue in a slightly different way for several, several years throughout the course of our career. And Mm -hmm. I think those are some of the themes that we don't think about immediately when we try to draw from our experiences in our past lives, so to say. So whether it's music or sports or some hobby that you became really, really good at, there is this sense of continued practice, continued effort and deliberate practice in it just because you're interested in it or because you enjoy it, whatever the reason is. And I think that is the major similarity. Less so the whole, well, you use your hands and there's muscle memory. It's, yeah, but let me tell you, laparoscopy is nothing like playing the piano. (laughs) So in my mind, I just think uh, less so that. I want to talk about the core topic of your talk, which was more focused on palliative care. But before we get there, Mm -hmm. there's recently been on Twitter this sort of raging battle around this article that was recently written in the New York Times about how surgeons these days, according to some crank who was talking to this reporter who then quoted him throughout this piece, are not as good because we don't do as many dexterous things. We just swipe phones and we don't crochet, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that point that you make is so important. Surgery doesn't require extraordinary dexterity. I mean, the things we do, like 
anyone could learn to do with deliberate practice, right? But it's the learning how to do the deliberate practice, right? It's not that like you're really good at piano, therefore you're really good at surgery. You're really good at video games, therefore you're really good at surgery. It's like you're really good at sitting down and learning how to do something for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And And that allows you to be good at surgery as well. Exactly. It's anything in life. That's why I think there's so much focus in general for people as they go through their early adult lives to try to figure out what it is that they want to do with their career. That is their passion. But it's really something that you can find within yourself. That's how what I think about in terms of passion and practice that will interest you and you have the ability to think of it in slightly different ways for decades and decades and that's what's going to engage you over the course of your lifetime you have to be willing to get better willing to always find areas within yourself to improve and something that energizes you to find your thing one thing you've seemed to have landed on is surgical oncology as a a focus and you're going back to canada to to do a fellowship in that and then focusing in as you talked about in your in your talk on not just like how do we cut out cancer, right? But how do we yeah. take care of the whole patient in a bigger way? Which I think is something that surgeons have, have really struggled with. Yeah. Well, I think there's that assumption that surgeons aren't as good as doing things that I think we're actually pretty good at and we know are important, but don't necessarily translate in our day-to-day practice. I think that's the struggle. Mm. So the, the goal of the talk hopefully wasn't to illustrate some terrible impression that surgeons are really proficient at certain skills, technical and non-technical, and here's a major deficit. That's not the point at all. I think that we learn very early on in our medical careers, starting in medical school, that your bedside manner, how you give bad news and how you speak to a patient, how you describe things, a language in which you describe things is very important when you talk to patients who are varied in every which way and have different levels of understanding. But it's outside of medical school, the craziness of residency, no matter what your specialty, makes it that sometimes some certain things about being a physician fall away in terms of importance. You're, as an intern, your focus is getting your little check boxes all ticked off and being efficient and learning about medicine and how to be practical in your day-to-day life and less about rote memorization and regurgitating things that you know as a medical student. And I think what I've observed over the years is I've noticed in myself, and I can't generalize for everyone, nor do I want to, that the things that you felt very strongly about as a student, such as looking at the whole patient, taking the time that we don't have now to talk about things like, tell me about your life and your emotions and your family and what's important to you. We do less of that as a result of trying to be more efficient, at least in residency we do because time is of the essence and we're being paged as we're seeing patients and in, in yeah i'll tell you it doesn't get as different as you think yeah when you like cross I, the rubicon into becoming an I attending like there are still if the pressures are different the time gets spent in different certainly. ways you gotta remember to like to make the time to be purposeful about yes. it i don't know if we're just very lucky here at university of wisconsin and we're i'm very spoiled that we've had wonderful attendings who do take the time and talk whether it's 8 p.m.s on rounds on a weeknight or in the clinic and so on and so forth. So 
because of that, I always look at myself and say, I know this is a temporary part of my life when I'm a resident and I'm being pulled in nine directions at once. Not like it won't happen when I'm an attending. Clearly it does happen. But when there is a lot of busyness and noise around you, how do you do that at the same time? And how do you learn and get better and be better? And I think it also this also addresses that when you know better, you can be better mm-hmm. and do better. And this whole element of palliative care, sometimes, unfortunately for us, palliative care is not ingrained into our curriculum. So unless you're lucky to have had the exposure either from being present during palliative care consultations, having had formalized training to some degree either in medical school or in your early residency, we have to be lucky or you have to be interested to seek those experiences. And until then, you can't really harp on anyone for saying, well, you do a bad job as a surgeon or whatever subspecialist you are in not delivering primary palliative care but we've never been trained. You can't really expect someone to be able to deliver if that's never been introduced or taught. And I think this is like a new idea, right? I mean, when I was in training, which wasn't all that long ago, there was a real feeling that like palliative care was what you did when surgery had failed or when like the surgeons threw up their hands and said, oh, we can't operate on this. Palliative care and surgery didn't coexist. You were either like surgical or you were palliative. That line was pretty bright, I feel right. like. And I feel like now it's there's starting to be more interdigitation. And we talked with Zara Cooper, who yes. came on the podcast yes. and who's done a lot she's of work fantastic. on this, but she's a, a pioneer in that, right? I mean, right. this is this is a new idea. Right. I think it's newer, certainly. And with anything that's novel, it takes time to study it, to educate ourselves, and to start being very purposeful in terms of implementation strategies and I think there is this wonderful new wave of interest in palliative medicine especially among surgical patients and now we're we're looking at how do we integrate this we've identified something that is useful impactful and helpful in terms of overall patient outcomes how do we incorporate this into centuries worth of surgical culture and training that is kind of not been consistent with palliative medicine for a very long time. So what's your sense of when palliative care is important in surgery? We're not calling palliative care and engaging people in palliative care around hernia repairs necessarily, although like you can imagine maybe there are times- Could you? Absolutely. When you should, right? Like what defines surgical palliative care and like when should we be using it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that is the crux of the big question in my talk. I don't think that there is one single answer to that question because every patient is an individual and every individual case will be varied. Even when we have a very predictable trajectory to whatever disease, acute or chronic, that a certain patient is facing, that individual could deal with it very differently. So I know I talked a lot about earlier consultation to palliative care services. We have yet to define what early means. And I think from an individual standpoint, it is when you as a provider are meeting someone for the first time, becoming involved in their care, or you're dealing with a patient that you've known for several, several years now in chronic disease, it is in part a part of your own discretion to be able to make that decision, right? Like if you know someone really well and something just isn't working and you are maximized at what services are or 
options that you can provide your own patient. You know, one of the things I highlighted was the fact that palliative care services can do a lot in terms of symptom management, not just discussion, goals of care, emotional support, so on and so forth. The list goes on. Sometimes it's assisting the provider when you don't know how to articulate that, hey, this situation that you're in when you're talking to the patient sucks. And there's not much that we can do with modern medicine nowadays, but why don't we see how we can reshape what we do have in front of us to help you get the most out of what we do have and what you want. And that's goals of care, regardless of where they are in disease trajectory. This is irrespective of end of life and prognoses and so on and so forth. So it could just bridge the gap between patient and physician sometimes. It doesn't always have to be called upon during challenges or when there's a moment of crisis. There are very clear indications for palliative care consultations, such as end-of-life, goals-of-care conversation, code status, uh, bereavement, hospice, things like that. But more of the gray area, I know one of the questions from the audience at the end of the case is, how do we utilize palliative care in the setting of chronic disease? There's someone who you don't suspect is going to be reaching end-of-life anytime soon that you can tell or that you know of, they're otherwise functional, but they have a very poor quality of life that's perfectly appropriate. So I think as surgeons, we think of, is there something I can do and offer the patient most of the time via an operation that is going to improve the chief complaint? And if there isn't, and we've maximized all the other well-known resources and options out there following discussion with the typical consultant, so on and so forth, why why not why is this not an option to consult palliative care you know one of the things that palliative care does very well is also pain management our fellows here at uw have the option for electives to rotate with i believe it's an anesthesia department i'm not certain don't quote me on it but to get some experience on regional anesthesia pain control so on and so forth now it's a completely different world of pain medications and management of those kinds of things at end of life but I think there are a lot of resources that even I'm not as familiar with as I would like to be of what palliative care can offer and in the very least have a discussion about that Mm -hmm. and allowing them to introduce these kinds of options to the patients so as you were saying earlier so someone who has a hernia repair. Usually you see them in clinic, you perform their surgery if they're an appropriate surgical candidate, and most of the time most patients do well and they don't need to be seen in surgery clinic postoperatively all that much. But sometimes they do. Patients have pretty bad neuropathy related to it that may or may not necessarily be relieved by kind of standard like postoperative Right. Therapeutics or modalities. Yeah. yeah, what can you do after that? And you're essentially, there's no way to guarantee that the patient won't have those kinds of symptoms for a very long time. Right. It's about managing expectations on our part and for the patient's part and having a, a really frank and honest discussion about that. And not everyone's great at that, and that's okay, nor are we required to be by the time we get our diplomas at the end of medical school or residency. Mm-hmm. So if you're not comfortable with having that conversation or being able to articulate those things, why not engage a service where the one of the things that they are most well-trained in is having tough conversations. And through that, over time, you can acquire some of those skills and learn tricks to 
to do similarly in your own practice. There are some little tips and tricks, tools that exist for people who want to do a better job of having these hard conversations right. that you can do as a, as a surgeon, as any kind of doctor, right, as a medical student, without having to necessarily bring in the big gun palliative care yeah, specialists. Absolutely. So I think this falls into what our jobs are as primary palliative providers, right? So primary palliative care is any provider who assists in developing treatment plans for the patient, keeping in mind their goals and preferences in life in general, right? So you as a provider, regardless of whether or not you have been trained in palliative medicine, can have conversations about goals of care, end of life, code status, so on and so forth, depending you're comfortable with it and you feel as though this is something that's appropriate for your patient. The tips and tricks, and if you're just starting out with this, there's this fantastic app, and in this day and age, everything is on our phones, and most of us have smartphones by now. There's this app called Vital Talk, and what I like about it, it's very easy to use, it's free to to download on your phone. It gives you these tips and tricks. It literally will give you phrases that you can start off with if you say, okay, I'm walking into this room, uh, the family's all involved, I wanna talk about X, Y, and Z. How do I start a conversation about X, Y, and Z? I feel like I'm the best person to have this conversation and open up this topic. And I think if you go in there thinking like, it is your responsibility, which I think a lot of surgeons, as a little bit of a segue, feel like they, they own a lot of that responsibility with respect to their patients, and that's fine to open up the conversation that way. Use the app. The app is organized in a way where there are little subsections about grieving or goals of care or code status. How do you open up a conversation? So that's a quick tip. I Something think. to be done in the hallway before you go yes, in the room. And literally. Not, not while you're in the room, right? Yes, like, do not look what did at they say? Like, let me look down here, right? <laughs> this is That was my sort of image when you were talking about it. I was like, oh, yeah. please don't do it in the room. Yes, right? that's a very good point. Yes, I should have mentioned that. It seems very common sense, but you never know these days. Yeah. Other things that are maybe less convenient and more time-consuming is if you do have the time and the interest Whenever palliative care is consulted on your patient, if you have the time to spare, join those meetings. Listen to how they say things. Mm -hmm. So I had the opportunity, I was very fortunate in my fourth year to have time for an elective and I chose to rotate with our palliative service. And that I learned the most, not only because it was protected time and I spent every day with them, but hearing one provider have a goals of care conversation with a family one day and another provider do it a different day, different words, different phrases, different styles. Right. Um, Just like you learn a lot watching three different attendings take out a pancreas, right? Yes. And I don't think there's a right or wrong. Style is so important Mm -hmm. and different individuals will click in different ways. It doesn't make one better than the other, but it allows you to try it in different ways that maybe you've seen and develop your own style. So there's no right or wrong, and that's a tough part. It's not like you can give someone a script and say, okay, I have formally taught you how to have a whatever type of conversation you're trying to have. That's just not gonna happen that way. If I regurgitated the same words that say you would use in a goals of care conversation, I would sound incredibly artificial 
probably and not be able to articulate the things that I intend to articulate and it just may not seem genuine and there's no way to control perception and that's the tough thing when you're having a a human conversation with another person you've crossed off all the boxes you've mentioned all the big points that you need to mention to the patient and their family but whether or not they get it Mm -hmm. and whether or not you achieve the common goal of having a thorough conversation is totally dependent a lot of the times on the person on the other end what is their perception and sometimes different people just have different ways of getting through yeah it's interesting i mean just sort of bring it back to where we started only a degree to which you can deliberately practice right giving bad news memorizing the right phrases to use and just and then at some point you just have to fall back and be like I'm a person, you're a person too. We just need to communicate. Exactly. Right? Communication. And it has to get back to that just elemental. I know some tips, I know some tricks, and I'm just a person and we need to talk yeah. together as people. You know what one of the palliative care providers here taught me? Because this was something I kept thinking about as I was rotating on their service. I'm like, you know, when I hear you say it, it seems to click. But I feel like when I've listen to other people say it it doesn't click as well or when I try it Mm. I don't get that same sense of satisfaction that it seems like I get when I watch you do it and one of the remarks that he made was that communication is inherently challenging in general Mm. like forget communication in medicine communication in life can be very challenging you could say one thing the same way to two different people and they will interpret it completely differently and keeping that in mind that this is just natural human variation kind of compounds a challenge with trying to communicate bad news or something that carries a lot of weight. So when you're in the middle of a conversation, you're not getting the sense that the conversation is going in the direction that you think it should go. Those tips and tricks that you have in the back of your mind help you say the same thing in different ways. And hopefully knowing how to say things in multiple different ways is a way to get through to a patient. Right. And knowing how to sort of how to read them and sort of understand what they are and are not understanding what that, you know, what messages are getting through, how, how they're responding to your conversation. Right. I think a lot of times we sort of were like, these are things I need to say. And you forget to sort of make sure that to have them sort of give it back to you and make sure they understood it. Close loop communication, right? Right. That's not novel either. Fundamental ideas, right? It's practice. A lot of it's practice. And if only we had all the time in the world to practice indefinitely, right? Right. While doing all the other things you have to do. Yeah. It's hard. It's not meant to be easy. And I think that's why there's an entire specialty dedicated to this. Well, this is so awesome. Thank you so much for for coming in for the reminder that, you know, we don't have to call in a specialist to have every conversation, but we should you know, call in the specialists to have some conversations because they just, just like we have deliberately practiced being surgeons, they have deliberately yeah. practiced doing this, this work, this hard work. And I just think it's awesome that you're doing the work you're doing to bridge those worlds. And Vancouver's lucky to be getting you back. We'll, we'll miss you. I'll miss this place very much. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. Next time on The Surgery Set, I speak with Dr. Ala Abdel-Sayed, also known around here at UW as Dr. Al. He's a pain management specialist with a new book out entitled Chronic Pain, The Patient and Family Journey. Talk to you soon. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. 
It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope you check back soon. On Wisconsin.